The following audio is from Sand Hills Community Church. More information about Sand Hills Community Church is available at www.sandhillschurch.org. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you do for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you allow us the opportunity to go away on a weekend and focus on you. It's incredible that we get to have fun. We get to sing to awesome worship music and hear messages and then just hang out together and really talk life. And so, Lord, we just thank you. Thank you this church, the people of the church, not Church Sand Hills as an organization, but people here make that happen. Lord, we want to thank you as we go into Thanksgiving for the gifts that you give us and for the ability for us to give to others so that they can have the blessing of knowing you and experiencing who you are. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, good morning. I know, can you believe this is Thanksgiving week already? I mean, this year has just flown by, but I am, I'm looking forward to Thanksgiving. I, I don't know about, I mean, like, I like to eat, you know, so that's all good. I saw something on social media this last week, you know, don't forget to set your scales back 15 pounds Wednesday night, you know, just think, I saw, I, well, that's a new tradition. We got to start doing that. That's great. And I don't know what your favorite food is. One of the things I love is, uh, I love pumpkin pie. There's just something magical about it. But it's got to be like homemade, you know, like the store-bought just doesn't cut. It's like a homemade pumpkin pie. I like to put some fresh Cool Whip on it. Just, oh, it's so good. Um, now, there's another one, you know, over the years, people have started making sweet potato pie. So, you know, let me just say, now, we, somebody's got to wave a yellow flag somewhere, you know, just like when we start getting vegetables into our sweets, let's just be careful. Let's just be careful. Like, so I, can, I can do some sweet potato pie. All right, it's not my favorite. I can do it, you know, and I can do some carrot cake. But, but let's, you know, I don't want, you know, green pepper muffins, something like that. I mean, you're going to get beet popovers, you know, stuff like that. Let's just, let's be careful. It's not even healthy anyway. So let's just not go there. Let's, you know, chocolate needs to be in desserts typically. Let's make sure we focus on that. Um, but anyway, so I am looking forward to Thanksgiving. And of course, all day football is going to be great. Thanksgiving all day. So if you're one of those people, you know what's great is you get your belly really full and you sit down in front of a football game you really don't care about and then you just fall asleep. Yeah. And then, you know, you wake up again. What do you do when you wake up? That's what you do. You know, that's one day when I feel like the Lord's like, gluttony's okay. You know, <laughs> one day, you get, a, you get a buy, you know, so I don't know. Anyway, looking forward to that. But what we're uh, really looking forward to, of course, is uh, being thankful for what God has done for us. And, I, and let me just say this. I don't know in your family if you're the only Christian or you and your family are kind of the only set of Christians. I hope you come from uh, a longstanding line of Christians. But regardless, uh, typically when families get together, they will offer a prayer. Now, if you've got kind of a non-spiritual family, let me just encourage you to take the lead. You know, because every now and then you get there, if, if you've had those family members, <laughs> we've had those before, who will get up and they will offer a real basic prayer. You know, I mean, I'm glad they're praying, but it's like, as eh, a weak prayer, no offense, brother. So, uh, you know, I would just, it's maybe time for you to subvert the prayers of your family uh, at this time. Maybe just come in and go, hey, you know, Uncle Gus, instead, can I do the prayer? This time, you always do the prayer. Can I do the prayer this time? Because you just want to want to make sure you elevate the fact that what God has done for us through Jesus Christ is the most amazing thing in the world. And when we sit with a table full of bounty and we rem- or we're reminded how God provides even for the food in our bellies, this basic thing, and how much more wonderful these greater things that he's done in all of the universe. Like that's the kind of, that's what we need to be praying about. So just encourage you guys, may need to take over your family prayers. But either way, Today, we're going to talk about being faithful to God, being faithful to God. And it's really in response to what he has done for us. That is, as thankful people, we live in response to what God has done for us. And today, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 
beginning in verse 14, going through chapter 7, verse 1. So go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 14. And if you're new with us or visiting with us, let me just tell you, this is something we do. We tend to take books of the Bible and we study them all the way through so that we understand the context, uh, to whom it was written, why it was written. In this case, this was written to a young church in the city of Corinth, which is a city in Greece. And these were um, people who were just trying to figure the whole Christian thing out. Uh, Paul was a converted Jew. He had been a, um, a, a practicing, devoted Jew for all his life. Then he, he became what we call a completed Jew. That is, he gave his uh, life to Jesus Christ, submitted to him, and um, accepted Christ as his Messiah. And then he went on to start these churches. This is one of the churches he started. And then they're wrestling with, well, can we trust this guy? Can we not trust this guy? Uh, and he, he's kind of a, uh, a traveling preacher. So he would pop in, and he would preach and get the church started. And then he took off, and then other people came in, and the church got confused along the way. And so he is pausing to write to them to help clear up some confusion. So 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 14, let me read this for us. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God. They will be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. All right, so uh, this, this call here really is for us to be faithful, faithful to the Lord as he has been faithful to us. And it's actually partnered a bit with a warning to God's people, which is what's wrapped up by the time you get to uh, verse 1 of chapter 7. Uh, so let's just go through this and let's talk about it a little bit. Now, many of you have heard verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And we're going to, before we're done today, we'll talk about maybe some applications for that. But let's start off with the idea of a yoke. So when it comes to a yoke, this is, the yoke is that wooden cross piece that lays over the neck of, the, of a couple of animals there. And so you've got a couple of ox here. Actually, if you try, there's some ox behind them. So this actually may be like a, a four yoke unit here. I'm not sure what this is. We, this may be four ox power, uh, this particular plow. I don't know. But the... Um, but you've at least got a couple there. And so the idea is that when you put these two animals together, it doubles the return, uh, what they can do. Or in this case, maybe triples or quadruples, depending on what they got behind them there. Uh, but you've got more going on here. So here's the idea, though. Let's imagine that, that on one side we have an ox, but then on the other side we have, say, um, a chicken, right? <laughs> it's like this thing is going to go bad in a hurry, right? Because you've got one that's this, this massive strength, and it's just going to pull the other wherever it wants to go. And so when, when we talk about the idea of yoking, what we're talking about is coupling yourself, binding yourself to one who would um, have undue influence or undue control so that when they exert their will, it, it veers, makes the th whole thing veer off course. And, uh, and so Paul starts with that idea and then he's going to unpack as we go forward some applications of that. But they're generalities, and we're going to have to talk about specifics as we might apply them. And Paul was specifically worried about the Corinthian people. The Corinthian people were a fickle people. Uh, they would profess a love for God one moment, and then they'd be doing something knuckleheaded the next. 
and they would profess uh, a, a belief in the teacher, uh, uh, particularly the Apostle Paul, one moment, and then the next moment they'd say, we don't believe in you anymore. We're not following you anymore. And so these, these people struggled. Um, they struggled with some of the ways that they lived out their faith. We'll talk about that as we go forward. Uh, but this is what Paul's just wanted to caution against. Uh, there's some things they were doing with some temple worship stuff that he was uncomfortable with. There are ways they were receiving him he was uncomfortable with uh, or not receiving him. And there were some teachers they were listening to that he was very uncomfortable with. And so all of these things probably are connected to this, this yoking that he's concerned about. Uh, let's go on now to this, this series of contrasts that he begins to, to play out for us. Uh, second part of verse 14 and going forward. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Now, Belial, by the way, is um, it's a Hebrew word uh, for like treacherous or wickedness. And it became a word for them to talk about the devil. And it was just, it, you don't find it anywhere else in scripture. It's just here, but he's picking up on something that was common for them. Like in our day and age, you might hear people refer to Lucifer, right? We don't find the, the name Lucifer in scripture uh, it became equated with Venus, the morning star, and the idea that, that Satan is this, formerly was an angel of light and can still appear as an angel of light, uh, but is actually full of darkness and deceit. So um, you've got Christ versus Belial. What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? And so you look at this, righteousness, lawlessness, light, darkness, Christ, Satan, believer, unbeliever, temple of God versus a pagan shrine. Um, all of these play into what Paul is concerned about. And he illustrates it by um, really showing some concern about how they're living their lives in regard to false gods. Let, let me give you a quote. This uh, actually comes from 1 Corinthians here. I don't know if we have this. So, yeah, what do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. So Paul was really interested. So he was talking about, and if you read 1 Corinthians, he goes to this whole thing about when people worship a foreign god, that's not even real. It's not even like the, the statue, they, the carved statue they make, it's all pretend. It's all fake. It's not real. Um, and so then Christians look at that and they're like, oh, it's not real. So, um, so if a man who's a butcher sacrifices a cow to a false god and he's selling that meat in the marketplace, I can buy that. I like it. If it didn't violate my conscience, I can buy that. I can eat it. It's, it's, that god was fake. Everything he's doing is fake. So Paul says, yeah, that's true. You can live according to your conscience. So then what Christians were doing was the pagan temples around them would have festivals and Christians would go to these pagan temples and then they would enjoy the festival. And then that's when Paul comes in and goes, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, it's not nothing. I mean, this, when they're there worshiping, this false thing they're worshiping, that, that's found its origin in Satan. And so Satan is the great deceiver there. Let's not... Let's not participate in that. And so there was this, it's almost like this fine line where Paul was saying, look, these gods aren't real. They're make-believe, but their origin is satanic. And so what they're really engaging in is this elevation of, um, of demons and Satan. And we just we want to be careful. Let's not partner with that. And so Paul was really calling them to a caution in the midst of telling them some uh, instructions about how to live. So here's the thing then. Now he's applying this to the New Testament church. And he says, church, I want you to be careful. Now, first what he does is in these verses, what we might call 16b uh, through uh, verse 18, he takes a selection of Old Testament scriptures and he conflates them together. He shoves them all together. Um, now, a couple things this shows us, which I love. One is his command of scripture. Like Paul, straight up new scripture. So much so that he could take it, uh, pull it apart, uh, push it all together 
and get various ideas out. Here's another thing that comes out in this. This has to do with a lot of promises. I mean, if you look at these promises, just in these few verses, where God is saying, I'm going to make you my people. I'm going to welcome you. I will be your father. You're going to be my sons and daughters. Like these promises, like, wow. So what he's saying is the church is the fulfillment of these covenant promises of God. And now we look back, we go, wow, you know, like we are the fulfillment of all these things. And then he says, yeah, yeah, because of that then, be careful. So he starts off by saying just this right in verse 16. First of all, I want you to know you're the temple of the living God. Now, I don't know how familiar you are with the temple complex, right? But um, for the, and some of us are going to Israel in a month, and we're going to be uh, walking literally in the temple area. It is going to be so cool. And when you see how this thing used to be laid out, and you see the bricks that are still there, these giant stones that are still there, you're, you're going to be amazed. You're like, wow, this is amazing. All right, so here's, here's what's really interesting. In the heart of this, historically, was this place called the Holy of Holies, this cubed shape area where the Ark of the Covenant used to reside, and God used to manifest his presence in this giant cloud uh, that, would, that would come in there. And so when, when Paul is writing this and he says, we are the temple, the word he uses there is the word for the Holy of Holies. What he's saying is, the presence of God now resides in here. See, that's why when you go to Israel, for those of us that are going, you look at this place and you, you imagine this temple complex, you're like, this is amazing. You're like, no, you know what's really amazing? Is that God indwells his people. That's what's amazing. And so he says, okay, so because of that, and because of these promises here, this is why we've got to be careful. You know, it's this... Um, he was really concerned as he was talking about it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, he makes this comment. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Now, for the Apostle Paul, this became a reason why we choose holiness over participation in sinful behavior. That is that we are not going to couple this place where the presence of God resides with the filth of this world. And he specifically applied it. Like One of the ways he applied it was to sexual immorality. He's like, you know why we're not sexually immoral? Because we're not going to couple the presence of God with sinful behavior, right? I'm not going to choose sin, and I'm not going to partner it with somebody else who's sinful. That's just not what we do. We're in the temple of God. Now, it can express itself in many other ways, but that was an area where he had concern. And really, if you were to go back and trace, and it's like really like five references to the Old Testament that he's crammed together here. If you were to trace these promises, they're almost all coupled with a warning. That is, you know, you can be my people, but be careful. You know, I'm choosing you. I want to be your father. I want you to be my sons and daughters, but be careful. I'm going to discipline you if you don't. Like there's all these warnings that are coupled with this. In fact, that's when you get to verse seven. He just took the promises section uh, for those three verses there. But then when you get to seven, he talks about all of this, but he closes with a reference to the fear of God. And we already know that Paul, though he knows that he is forgiven and he, is, he has entered into a new life in Jesus Christ, he always wears with him the idea that one day we give account to God. And so he has this, this, this fear of respect of the Lord that one day I answer to him and he is a good, good dad, but he does demand obedience. And so he, he kind of walks in this line of where we are people of grace, forgiven in Jesus Christ, and yet we have to make choices uh, that honor our father. And so he, he pulls this out as he goes through. So verse, like when you get to verse 17, therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, touch no unclean thing, and then I will welcome you. And this is a reference to back during the, the time of Babylon when, when God's people were amidst this really sinful people. And he says, like, like come out from Babylon. That's a, that's a sinful people. They worship sinful things. I don't want you to be a part of that. I don't want you to be separate 
uh, from that. I don't want you to touch any unclean thing. Verse 18, and I will be a father to you. You shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. This is another one of those that was also coupled with a, uh, a caution because you'll be disciplined if you don't. And so we have all these great promises of God, but they're kind of all coupled with, you know, you got to be careful. In fact, uh, theologian J.W. Ollie says this, all the Old Testament passages cited or alluded to in 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18, thus contain an undercurrent of warning against treating God lightly by combining the worship and service of him with that given to other gods. So we might say, well, yeah, but listen, I get the Corinthians may have struggled with that. Like, We're not struggling with the worship of other gods. Are we? Uh, so yeah, I was trying to think, like, what's a practical example of this? I, I'll give you a practical example. Your cell phone. Your cell phone t- tells way more about you than you want it to. Uh, for, there's some ways I could think about this. One would be the picture you have on your, your home screen, right? So whatever picture you have on your home screen, that's going to tell you a little bit about maybe something you worship, right? So uh, like I, was, I did a wedding yesterday up in Greenville in the rain outside, 46 degrees. Yeah, I did that. That was fun. The, they're still married. It all worked, but it was crazy. Um, so while we're there, this girl next to me pulls up something on her phone because she's, you know, and I just happen to be standing there. She pulls out her phone and I look at it and her home screen is her all dressed up. I was like, okay, I know what she worships, right? Now that you might say, well, that's a generalization. Okay, okay, might be a generalization. Open that phone up. What are the last pictures that you took? The last set of 10 pictures you took? Here's what I'm going to learn about you. Um, you almost worship your pet or you almost worship your children, or yourself, or your food. <laughs> now, can I, just a moment of honesty from your pastor here. Like, you may have just had a wonderful dish at some exotic restaurant somewhere else. I don't care. <laughs> I, I, mean, I mean, listen, God bless you. That's great. I love, I love good food. Enjoy your food in private. Right? That's what, I, that's what I would say. You know, and then listen, I, I don't care what you post, but it does, it does say something about us, right? This is where we got to be. Like, it, it says stuff about us. So uh, what you tend to seek out on social media, the last things you ordered on Amazon. If I look at the last few things you've ordered on Amazon or the last things you watched on Netflix or Hulu or whatever, like this is going to tell us a little bit about yourself. And, and, and Paul's concern, and make no mistake, he is addressing these to the New Testament church. He is saying, listen, just be careful what you couple with the presence of God who's within you. And you can say, listen, I can do, I can do those things. I can seek those things out of my phone. I can take those pictures. I can post them on social media. And that's not worship, okay? Okay, it may not be worship, but it might be, right? And so this is just one of those where we have a little caution here. Now, listen, we all got to live, right? And social media is not wrong. Just going to be careful how you use it. Uh, let me just ask you this, though. Do you post as much scripture as you do food, right? Uh, as many comments about what God is doing in your life as he's doing in your family. So, you, and I'll tell you how I've addressed this personally. I just stopped posting. Yeah, <laughs> I just realized I can't do service here. I can't figure this thing out. Now, I'm a guy, so you might say, well, you're probably not going to do that anyway. Okay, granted, I'm probably not. Uh, but just something to think about. That may be an indication of something we worship, and we don't tend to, to communicate that. Uh, okay, chapter 7, verse 1. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord. Now, I love this, bring holiness to completion. Wouldn't you love to be completely holy? Like, that's what I want, complete holiness. Now, by God's grace, you've actually been declared holy in Jesus Christ. But what this is really meaning is bringing holiness to fulfillment. Here's the call. Be who you're supposed to be. That's the call. 
That brings holiness to completion. You're supposed to be who you're supposed to be in Jesus Christ. That's what you're supposed to do. With the presence of God within you, be who you're supposed to be. So now let me think about it. One of the struggles with scripture, and I get it, is trying to figure out how we apply this to our lives. And then we have to be careful about, like, what is the purpose I need to make sure I do this? Is it that if I do a lot of good things, God's happy with me? If I do bad things, God's unhappy with me? You got to be careful there. Because then you end up treating God like karma. And he is not karma. You know, we, we are obedient to a God who loves us, and we don't want to be disobedient because he loves us, right? So these are the things here. I'm choosing obedience because I love God. Um, and if you read the history of Israel, one of the things God would accuse Israel of was cheating on him, right? Like in a marriage relationship. He's like, you're cheating on me. You're going around, you're sleeping with other gods by the way that you're behaving. You're, you're worshiping these false idols. Stay faithful to me. And, and if I could say that as, as a call for us, that's really what it's all about. That's what holiness is all about. God saying to us, stay faithful to me. Stay faithful to me. Now, I was trying to think, like, what are practical implications of this? Practical implications by way of both relationship and lifestyle. And so I thought, let me, let me imagine that my kids come to me and they say, hey, dad, how do I apply this stuff? Like, I want to be holy. You want me to be holy. What would you say to me in this? And I thought, okay, let's process. I'm going to just process with you like I would process with my own kids if I'm going through this. One, let's talk about relationships. Now, when Paul said, don't be unequally yoked at the very beginning of this, what was he talking about? And so what he was talking about was this, don't be bound to a relationship with which you are spiritually incompatible, right? It's not, not the idea of being around relationships, it's the idea of being bound to relationships with which you are spiritually incompatible, that's the warning. That's the danger. So then let's think about where these might fit. Uh, although I will tell you, I found this great quote by David Garland. He said this, those who harness themselves together with unbelievers will soon find themselves plowing Satan's fields. Is that not good? That is awesome. It's like, I read that. I was like, dang, I'm sharing that. That is so good. Um, so th- this is a part of a warning that we need to keep in our heads, this idea of this being bound. Okay. So does it mean then that Christians need to isolate themselves? Like we need to start monasteries and nunneries and communes, and we've just got to get off the grid. We've got to go live in the woods and, uh, you know, get off. Yeah. Okay, no. No, it doesn't mean that. It does not mean that at all. In fact, Paul talked about that. It's like, I'm not saying that you'd have to leave the world to get away from people who are of the world. So that, that's not it. And you're going to have a really hard time fulfilling the Great Commission if you just extricate yourself from everybody. So that's, it's not that. So let's be careful there. Uh, it also doesn't mean you, you leave your family. Like I let's say you're in a family and you're one of the only Christians in your family. You're like, you know what? I'm not going home for Thanksgiving. I'm not going home for Christmas. They are dead to me. Like, no, no, stop. Listen, you are bound to them. You were born in that family. Listen, you're just stuck with family. There's nothing you can do about it. Uh, and some of that is just God wanting to make sure that there is a Christian presence there. And so maybe that's why he has put you in that family. Maybe that's why he's redeemed you to have that influence you're supposed to have. Or here's another one. If you are married, you're both married, but neither of you are walking with the Lord, but somewhere along the way, one of you becomes a Christian. And then you start to look at your spouse. You're like, well, they don't love the Lord. Like, and I'm not, I don't want to be unequally yoked. Okay, one of, the, one of the rules of marriage is once you're in, you're in. <laughs> you don't leave. You don't get to walk out. You, you stick that marriage out. And there's plenty of scripture that talks about how we become a model then for the love of Christ in the context of marriage. So when you're already in marriage or you're born into a family, those are off the table. Okay, what about your employer? If you're a Christian, can you work for a non-Christian employer? Okay, Obviously, right? Because <laughs> almost everybody does. So, but, but here's the difference. So uh, now we get that I can work for somebody who doesn't love Jesus because roles they give me, assignments they give me. Now, there may be at times where I have to consider moral implications. 
right? There may be things that I've been asked to do that are counter to what God would have me to do. Then you have to make a choice. But here's how we know you're not bound. You can quit, right? You, you just walk away, right? So that, that you're not bound to that. That is, that is a voluntary service. And when you're done, you can step out uh, of that service. So that's something uh, you're allowed to do. Um, so here's a question. Can you then go into business with a non-believer? Can you start a business? Now, see, if you're my kid and I'm talking to you, I'd say, okay, whoa, this is one I think I would say it applies. Because if you do this, you will be legally bound to this person. I would not ask you to do that. Uh, here's the reason. When things are good and everything's gravy, it's great. You guys could probably have a great business. But here's the problem. When things get tough, are you both going to feel the way about you report earnings to IRS? Are, when, when things get tough, are you both going to value the humanity of your employees the same way? When things get tough, will you be making the same moral decisions about your customers and about finances? I don't know that you will. And and even if they're a really good person that doesn't love Jesus, I would just say I wouldn't do that. I think I would hold back from that. I think this passage could be applied there. Uh, What about friendships? Can we have friends, if we're a Christian, who aren't Christians? What do you think? Okay, yes. So this one for me, not a red flag. This is a yellow flag, right? So first of all, if you say, well, I got this buddy. He likes a hobby I like. We hang out together. Totally cool. That's awesome. Hang out with your friend. Enjoy him. I I will trust that as you're hanging out with them from time to time, you will talk about your faith. From time to time, you will encourage them to respond to the good news of Jesus. From time to time, you'll invite them to church. From time to time, you'll give testimony about what God's doing in your life. From time to time, you will be praying for them, with them, even around them. Uh, I will trust you will do those things. Now, if you're my kid, I would just tell you this. I go back to my warning of my dad, which now has become my warning. So I guess I'm the dad now. So it is hard to soar with eagles when you run with turkeys, right? So this, you just got to be careful. Just be careful. The, people, the people you hang around will have influence on you. So this is just, it's a yellow flag. Just be careful. Again, we're going to have a hard time fulfilling the Great Commission if we isolate ourselves. So I, in fact, if I could just say this as, let me just say, if I'm talking to a room of mature believers here, all of you should have people in your lives who are Christians. Just be careful how you navigate those relationships. Because in particular, there's a relationship we do need to be worried about. Can you marry somebody who doesn't share your faith? So this is where I would say that is a direct application of that. That's a no. That's a no. You, you can't. Um, that, that's the unequally, and you want to talk about bound. When you are married, you're in. You're bound. Now, you may say, well, marriage, divorce, like, forget that. God's perspective of marriage is once you're in, you're in. And I would say this, if I appeal to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Uh, where Paul was making this comment, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she's free to be married to whomever she wishes, only in the Lord. The idea that she can marry anybody she wants as long as they're a Christian. And this is universal. This isn't just, well, the women do that, but the men, like, no, it's everybody. Like, you you can only choose uh, a Christian. Uh, This idea that you don't want to be bound to somebody who doesn't share your first love, right? And I will tell you this, infatuation dies quickly. And there's a room full of people in here right now that will tell you that don't make the mistake. Don't do it. So then let's back up from that. And if my kid says to me, well, dad, yeah, marriage I get. Can I date somebody who's not a Christian? So, okay, here's my rule. Like you do not date or marry anybody that doesn't love Jesus as much as you do or more. That's my rule. You, get, you, you don't date or marry anybody that doesn't love Jesus as much as you do or more right? This missionary dating idea, you know, like maybe I could win them to Jesus. Maybe I'm the one like, nope, stop, stop. You're not thinking with your head, right? 
there are other things going on here. So let's, let's pull back from this and just let's, just let's be careful. So dating and marriage, I would draw the line there. Now, I know others would say, well, I don't draw the line there. I, at some point, this is between you and the Lord, right? But I, I think this idea of don't, don't join what God is doing here with his presence to somebody who doesn't also have the presence of God within them. I do not think that's entering into the favor of God. Uh, and I will tell you this just in my own life, that's a decision I made. When I went to college, I had a, a, a high school girlfriend. She didn't love Jesus. And she told me, like, you, you want to do that Jesus thing? That's cool. Like, I'm just not into that. And uh, once I began to really read the scripture and got around some Christian people, I realized, no, nah, I, can't, I can't do this. And so I broke off the relationship. And it was hard, but uh, no regrets at all, I, I promise you. Um, all right, so that's some relationships. Uh, let's talk about lifestyle a little bit. Lifestyle's a little bit different. Uh, cleansing my life from defilement. So uh, I heard a guy say years ago, he said, you know, when, I, when I'm watching movies or I'm listening to music, I, I have this picture in my head that Jesus is sitting beside me, and I want to make sure that I'm not asking him to participate alongside me with anything that he would find vulgar or defiling or unholy or unrighteous. And I thought, that's a good picture. And I heard another friend say to me this. He said, I, I also, when I'm watching TV and I'm thinking through things, I try not to expose myself visually to anything that I wouldn't watch live, Right? And so for him, that immediately like nudity, no, I would never, I would never take that in because I wouldn't, I wouldn't defile myself in that way by watching that in life, in real life, uh, you know, within aside from God's context. But the, this idea that so, and and some may say, well, yeah, but you know, that's just that's just entertainment. Like I can deal with that. Okay, when you say, well, that stuff doesn't bother me, that bothers me. Uh, it bothers me that it doesn't bother you, right? Like when we get to the point where we are numb to sin, that's a problem, right? And I get, you almost can't watch a show these days without something in it. So this is, you know, this is just an area I'm calling for stewardship. And you have to figure this out. I'm not trying to be the, the morality police. I'm just offering this as things to think about. You know, if, would I watch this if Jesus were here? Does this honor me? Does this honor the person? Does this honor the presence of God within me? And that has to do with everything, music and, and all sorts of entertainment. Um, you know, for, for one of the things we've wrestled with, my wife and I over the years, is, is where do we draw the line in our entertainment preferences? And so just personally, one of the things we've said is like, if I look up a description of it and I see there's nudity involved, it's just out. I just don't, I don't do that. And I'm also, you know, I'm really put off by profanity. I, I hate to say it. And here's a problem too. I like a lot of music. And I suppose by public confession, I can even, even say this. I like, I like a lot of rap music. I do. My son got me into it years ago and I'm just into it. So, but the problem is like, I gotta, I gotta go to like the computer and type in clean, you know, like, you know, post Malone, clean. You know, like I like that's how you just like I I can't I can I can only handle so much stuff. Um, now, if if somebody else is that way, if I'm around somebody and they swear a lot and stuff, like that that's reflecting who they are as a part of their character, and I get it. Uh, they're they're devoid of the light of Christ, and I understand that exposure to that. I just I'll, hopefully I can be a part of uh, bringing them to Jesus, but I, I don't know that I want to choose to expose myself to that. I I, I kind of have a line there. Um, but but I just encourage you to draw those lines and something for you to think about, and something I want my kids to think about as well. And, and it's really hard, too, when you're a person who understands grace. Here's the idea. That as a Christian, like, I've come to the point in my life where I believe that Jesus is who he said he is, that, that he died for my sins, he satisfied my debt with God, that he hung on the cross for me, uh, that he was resurrected on the third day, proving that he had satisfied my debt with God so that all who respond to him in faith will now have eternal life with God our Father forever and ever. Amen. All right, so I already buy into that, which means then, in some sense, I don't have to be as careful with the way I live my life because I'm forgiven. So see, that's the danger. Because then you step into a word that we would call licentiousness. In the first service, I didn't define it. I just said licentiousness. And after the service, a woman came up to me. She said, what in the world? What, what is that word? What do you mean? And I was like, okay, I, I didn't explain it. Licentiousness is being given a license to sin. 
Here's what it means. I'm forgiven in Christ. So therefore, whatever I watch, whatever I do, whatever I say, it's all forgiven. You can only do so much of that before I would begin to wonder whether you're actually a Christian at all or just think you are. Right? So this is, this, you got to be careful. So this idea is, I want to honor God. Now, again, why do I want to honor God? If I do good things, he's happier with me. If I do bad things, he's angry with me. No, it's not that. It has to do with relationship. I am in a new relationship now. I'm no longer in a relationship with the world. I'm in a relationship with a God who loves me so much he gave himself for me. And in fact, when I submitted myself to him, he filled me with his presence. And so now I just want to be very careful about my input and my output because the presence of God is within me. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much for this uh, great time just to think this morning and with thankfulness of what you've done for us, what you're doing in and through us in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Lord, I know that you have called us to reflect righteous living, that this is the fulfillment of holiness, that we are completing, in a sense, what you have already begun in us in Jesus Christ. And we don't do it because it's going to put us more in your favor, and we don't veer away from sin because we think if we do too much of it, we'll be out of your favor. That's not what it's about. It's about the idea that we are in a, in a binding relationship with you. And you love us dearly, and you just want us to reflect that in the way that we live our lives. And honestly, it's because it's best for us, not just best for our relationship before you. And so, Lord, may we be a people who choose holiness. We choose holiness because we love the one who's holy. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Sandhills Community Church. Feel free to share this with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information, please visit our website at www.sandhillschurch.org.